0: What in the world is pracademics, and how could it empower you to help your clients with a very real crisis? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers Podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and Chief Transformation Strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers Podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. How can you be the first to know about each week's podcast and get on the list for special, listener-only content? It's simple. Go to shiftshapersonline.com and click the subscribe button. It's been about two years since we checked in with the American College. At that time, we were privileged to speak with Dr. Larry Barton. Dr. Barton has since retired, and we're privileged today to be speaking with Dr. Robert Johnson. Bob is president and CEO. Of the american college and with that welcome bob
1: it's really a pleasure to be here david thank you
0: thank you so much your background is a little bit different than most people would generally think of when somebody ascends to an academic position like this and i think it'd be interesting and informative for the rest of the interview can you give us kind of a snapshot
1: i think you're right david my background is a little bit different than the traditional academic college president but i think part of that is representative of the fact that the american college is a little bit of a, in a different position than many other colleges and universities, I believe that we operate in the area that I call pracademics, which is where practice and academia meet. It really is applied academics. That's the path that I chose for my career. And just very briefly, I was a traditional college professor at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. And then had the opportunity to go to then the Association for Investment Management and Research in Charlottesville, Virginia and work on the CFA program curriculum. And it was at a time that where the CFA was really growing and thriving. And my role was to up the curriculum. And what that meant was it meant working with practitioners all over the globe. And that is what really got me interested in this whole idea of pracademics. That's where the college is. And when the college came calling about a year and a half ago, It was a perfect fit for me.
0: And when we talked off air and we talked about the kinds of things that we might chat about during this interview, one of the recurrent themes and one of the things that I think will be most interesting is you mentioned that from your perspective, you believe there's a crisis in the United States and among other crises that we're dealing with. And that is a lack of financial readiness, especially in the area of retirement planning. Can you chat a little bit about that and enlighten us on why you believe that and what, how we've gotten to where we are?
1: Yeah, and I I do think, David, that perhaps the biggest crisis facing this country is this lack of financial readiness for retirement. And it's been getting a lot of attention recently, which I think is a very positive sign. But the fact is, we had a whole generation of folks who didn't really need to worry about retirement readiness because we were in the defined benefit pension plan era, And since over the past 25 years, there's been a shift from defined benefit plans to defined contribution plans, people now are responsible for planning for their own retirement. And there's a general lack of financial literacy in this country. People are wholly unprepared to do that. And I am so excited about the college and the role that we can play in increasing people's financial readiness and hopefully moving the needle a little bit in terms of people's financial literacy. And we don't do that by going directly to consumers. What we do is we educate financial advisors who work with consumers. So we kind of do it at what I would call the wholesale level if you want to draw an analogy to business. And we are really focusing at the college on... The retirement income planning space, the most popular designation at the college today is the retirement income certified professional designation, and this didn't exist four years ago. So in a very short period of time, that has become the most popular designation. And we also offer a PhD in retirement income planning for training people to do research in that area so that hopefully we can expand the body of knowledge in retirement income planning and help folks have more secure retirements.
0: So let's go back to the prac part of pracademics because that's where our listeners are the vast majority of them are folks who have dealt in the more traditional employee benefits area, although we have kind of a smattering of all kinds of other folks. How would you suggest that they start envisioning bringing this area of practice into their businesses and offering this as a value add for clients? How do how do they become more holistic, I guess would be the word to use?
1: That's exactly what we talk about. We talk about holistic planning because it isn't simply enough that people put away a portion of their income to save for retirement, it really involves a lot of other decisions that you make. For instance, how much of your savings do you annuitize? When do you claim Social Security? Because that's a very difficult concept to noodle through because there aren't simple answers. The answer isn't the same for everybody. It truly does depend on your conditions, And what I think it involves, I think that advisors are really educators to the public. I was a wealth manager. One of the things I neglected to say in the intro is that while I was working on my PhD and while I was a professor at the Creighton University, I managed folks' money. I had a private wealth management firm. And I believed that about 80% of my time was spent educating clients explaining why i was doing something why they needed to do something and i think that too many advisors make the mistake of not educating clients and an educated clients are really good client
0: you educate lots of folks at the college so if i'm a more traditional benefits practice and i think gee this is something that there's meat on the bones here there's something where i could provide value something where i could help increase revenue to my firm do you recommend that the folks who perhaps the college had previously trained in RHU and REBC and, and those designations start learning on their own? Or would you recommend for most people a path of creating a strategic partnership or bringing in a dedicated professional? What what do you envision as being the best way to start melding this area of practice with the area that these folks have traditionally worked in?
1: Well, I think the whole concept of teaming in this whole area is what's coming to the forefront. You know, where you have a team of professionals with different expertise areas working together, I think, is the wave of the future and recognizing that we all can't be experts in anything, in everything. Now, having said that, I believe that this whole retirement area is something that uh, behooves people to have expertise across many disciplines, And that's the beautiful thing, I believe, about the retirement income planning designation is that it does look at retirement income planning in a holistic sense, and you get a lot of knowledge about a lot of different areas.
0: A recurring theme that seems to be discussed here more recently as millennials become more prevalent in the workplace is that there's this vast difference, not only the move from the defined benefit era to the defined contribution plans kind of shift. But a difference in the way millennials and boomers and all those folks in between look at retirement planning. I know you have professors, and we've spoken to a couple of them, who deal with millennial issues. How do millennials see this whole retirement income planning thing?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting, David. That's the light at the end of the tunnel with this retirement income crisis is that actually millennials get it. Millennials are saving more money than previous generations have. You know, there was a recent Wells Fargo report that came out that said 3 of out of 10 millennials are saving at least 10% of their income for retirement. And while that's only 3 in 10, that's much more than what many of the previous generations including the baby boomers save for retirement. So millennials get it, and that is one of the things that we find when we interview people for positions is people ask about the retirement plan, and that's something that's relatively new that phenomenon didn't happen, and I think all of the attention that's being played by the media to retirement income planning is really helping that. you know, I think it really came to a head a couple of weeks ago and it the message wasn't a good message for the industry for the profession. But, uh, you know, John Oliver on this week tonight focused on retirement income planning. And when it gets into the public consciousness at that level, you know, I think it's a pretty good thing.
0: Well, and that's aimed squarely at millennials. To what do you attribute millennials in from baby boomers? Is it just that they're looking at their elders, their parents perhaps who are retiring and saying, gee, I don't want to end up unprepared as I'm seeing some folks
1: I think that a lot of it has to do with the effects of the financial crisis and how that really impacted many of the millennials' parents, perhaps some of their grandparents. And they're seeing, you know, one generation removed, what kind of a predicament you can be in if you haven't done the right things in terms of saving for retirement. And I think it it's one of these kind of scared straight things. And I think Folks are getting the message. Now, the negative part is that we find in research that millennials, while they're saving for retirement, they're overly cautious. The amount that they're allocating to equities is actually lower than the previous generation, which, of course, when you think about their time horizon, millennials should be wholly invested in equities. When your time horizon is, you know, 30 or 40 years. You know, over long periods of time, the equity markets outperform the bond market and other asset classes. So the good news is they're saving. The bad news is they need to take more risk. They need to invest in equities. And that's part of the problem when we say they need to take more risk. Well, risk is a four-letter word, and risk has a negative connotation. If they simply would allocate more of their assets into the equity markets, it would take care of a lot of problems.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, These groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff, while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Do you attribute that to a lack of education or do they just generally, as millennials as a cohort, generally have kind of a bearish outlook or a shorter term horizon?
1: Part of the problem, I think, is this 24-7 news cycle. You know, we talk about volatility, and here it's a really strange phenomenon because right after Brexit, the Friday after Brexit, when the U.S. market fell 600 points, the S&P 500 was at about the same level that it started the year. Now, people will say there's been so much volatility in the markets. Well, that's true. It's been a rather bumpy ride, But the fact is the S&P 500, just raw index values, not including dividends, because if you include dividends, the index was actually up, but it was at the same level that it started the year. If you were Rip Van Winkle and you fell asleep at the start of the year and you woke up on Saturday morning, you'd probably look at the paper and roll over and go back to sleep. But people are so focused on the short-term volatility that the 24-7 news cycle focuses on that it seems like the financial markets are somewhat of a casino. When you look at volatility over time, and some researchers, Ken Washer and Randy Jorgensen of Creighton University and I did some research that's coming out in the Journal of Wealth Management, and when you look at volatility on a monthly basis, monthly volatility has hardly changed since the 1940s. Prior to 1940, the volatility was a little less than 4% monthly. Now, monthly volatility is a little bit more than 4%. So, you know, when you look at volatility on a longer term horizon, and by the way, monthly, I don't believe is that long. But when you look at volatility on a monthly basis, not much has changed. Now, daily volatility has. And that's the problem, David, is that people tend to focus on asset values on a daily basis, heck, an hourly basis, or even a minute-by-minute basis. You know, how many people last Friday were checking the values of their stock portfolios on a minute-by-minute basis? There were many people that were. And that simply isn't conducive to good long-term financial planning.
0: So you think that that's a larger driver than the fact that maybe the millennials have not spent much time with Ibbotson charts?
1: Part of that, that's part of the problem is the lack of education, but part of it is that our financial news media tends to focus on the very short-term speculative things. You know, you have Jim Cramer screaming and yelling at night about buy this, sell this, buy that, and many people think that's investing, I tend more to think about investing like Warren Buffett thinks about investing. I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, so Buffett is the icon that I look to. And Buffett basically says, you know, do it consistently. You know, time in the market is more important than timing the market. You know, his famous line about stock forecasters make fortune tellers look good kind of thing. But people focus on the near-term movements in the market instead of developing a financial plan and doing it consistently and following a plan that is consistent in the long run.
0: Yeah, I remember that great quote attributed, I think, to Elliot Janeway that somebody asked him if the market was going up or down, and he said, yes, but not right away.
1: Yeah, and it's exactly true. In fact, and again, that's what the media tends to focus on. And you have people like Mark Faber. The other day, saying, you know, we're on the Titanic, but it's not going to sink for a while, so enjoy the ride. You know, people look at people like that and believe that they are experts, believe that they know the near term direction of the market, and nobody does.
0: Interesting. We've got three or four minutes or so left, and I wanted to ask you we're hearing a lot more in the press about these things called robo advisors what are they? What role do they play? Are they evil, good, or someplace in between?
1: My belief about robo-advisors is if it leads someone who wouldn't have invested before to develop an investment strategy and start investing and saving for retirement, then they're terrific. What I believe, though, is that what robo-advisors can't do is you can't call a robo-advisor last Friday and say, what should I do? The markets look like they're melting down. In other words, they can't provide that counsel. They can't provide you with that education or assurance that the world hasn't changed and that you're doing what you should do. Robo-advisors is a a misnomer, I believe. They're robo-asset allocators. And you answer a few questions and they give you, from an algorithm, they provide you with what your asset mix should be. But they don't counsel you on a lot of other things like what we're talking about with holistic planning, because it isn't just an asset allocation that matters. For instance, you may have life changes. You you know, there may be a birth of a son or a daughter that you may want to save for their college education, You know, you may have a loved one that's diagnosed with an illness. There's all kinds of life changes that happen that robo-advisors really aren't equipped to handle. But again, if by accessing a robo-advisor, somebody starts the process of investing, success in investing is all about doing it. It's all about getting started.
0: In the minute or so that we have left, we always like to ask our guests what they see coming in the future. And you can characterize that near-term, mid-term, long-term, however you want what do you see on the near-term horizon?
1: Well, I think that there's two big things that the markets are focusing on, the elections and the Fed. And obviously, they're interconnected. What happened with Brexit really took any near-term Fed interest rate increases off the table. In fact, the consensus of the market is that there's more likely would be a rate cut than a rate increase in the near term. The proximity of the elections – also takes rate hikes off the table because the Fed doesn't want to be seen as playing politics. So my belief is that there's nothing's going to happen with the Fed until at least December after the elections. When the Fed does eventually raise interest rates, that has consistently been negative for the markets. That is, market returns in a rising rate environment are consistently lower than market returns in a falling rate environment. I'm co-author of a book, Invest with the Fed, and we find that the market since 1966 increased 15.2% as rates were falling, increased only 5.9% as rates were rising. So as rates rise, I would expect market returns to come down. Now, I didn't say that there, we would have a bear market, is that market returns are consistently lower in rising interest rate environments. And with the election, just a very brief point about the election, we have two candidates who are have very low approval ratings. From market participants, neither Hillary Clinton nor Donald Trump are very attractive from the standpoint of the markets. However, Mrs. Clinton is much more attractive from the markets perspective than Donald Trump. And that is due to the fact that there's so much uncertainty with Mr. Trump. A lot of disruptive change that he would advocate, you know, tearing up trade agreements, deporting undocumented workers, just a brash stance toward foreign relations. Mrs. Clinton, there's much more certainty with Hillary Clinton. So I think if you see the polls changing, if you would see Donald Trump gaining in the polls, I think that you'd see some market weakness because of all that uncertainty. And if there's one truism in the markets the markets dislike uncertainty.
0: And that's a great place to leave our discussion today. Dr. Robert Johnson, President and CEO of the American College. Bob, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with us. Please come back.
1: Thanks, David. It was a pleasure and I'd love to come back.
0: The Shift Shaper Podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.